There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, I'm Craig and welcome to another episode of Football Kit Memories, the podcast that gets under the shirt. Today I meet the thinking man's footballer, Mr Pat Nevin. During the podcast, Pat talks about his new book, The Accidental Footballer, as he reflects on his time growing up in Glasgow, being part of an academic family, and his somewhat reluctant path to becoming a professional footballer. Pat was so generous with his time, sharing so many incredible stories, that I wanted to break this podcast into two parts and make sure you got to hear everything that he shared with me. Here, in part one, Pat talks about his time with Chelsea, reflecting on his first season in 1983-84 through the choice of the home shirt the Blues wore in that promotion season from Division 2. We also cover Pat's move to Everton following Chelsea's relegation in 1988. There we discuss the difficulties in maintaining a winning but ageing team and there's a sliding doors moment for Pat as he mulls over a potential move to PSG. Part 2 arrives on Monday where Pat discusses Scotland and his next two football shirt choices. Be sure to follow Football Kit Memories wherever you listen to your podcast so you don't miss it. I really do hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Welcome to Football Kit Memories. Okay, so today on the podcast, I'm really delighted to say I'm joined by the thinking man's footballer. It's the very cerebral Pat Nevin. How are you doing, Pat? I'm fine. Uh, thanks for the intro. It's not the first time I've had that intro. <laughs> in a lifetime trying to get away from that intro and the more I say no no I'm not like that people go yeah you must be dead clever if you say you're not oh you can't uh, win <laughs> well only clever people write books Pat and you've you've just written a book um yeah um uh, I wrote that a wee while ago and right. uh, um, I took a surprisingly short amount of time to write <laughs> I, okay I think it was three weeks to write 120,000 words Wow. Uh, but I had the ideas in my mind anyway. Um, I didn't, I wanted to do it a different way because um, there's a lot of footballers do books about their life and their career and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but simply, I didn't want to go to a publisher and I certainly didn't want anyone ghosting it. Right. So I just wrote it, um, uh, edited it, and then took it to a publisher and said, fancy this. And wow. Went, yeah, all right. <laughs> so uh, it's been a while you know, since I finished it, but I've, I love the process of actual writing because I'd never looked back. And that's the big thing. Yeah. Well, you, you don't look back. You always look forward. Right. Um, and then when I stopped playing, I had other things to do. So I kept on looking forward. Yeah. And then it was only the last couple of years, somebody did something to annoy me. 
and I'm, I'm not easy annoyed. Okay. <laughs> annoyed. And my reaction to being annoyed was to get out of the laptop and uh, hammered away. And it was, uh, so I'm very happy with that person for annoying me. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. And does that person know that you were the kind of catalyst for the book or? No, the reason why I've been vague about it is because that's the prologue to the book. Okay. Why? Right. <laughs> so yes, that person, no, that person probably doesn't know. Okay. Uh, Interesting. The concept being, uh, life has changed um, and life will always change. But I was beginning to see too many things that disinterested me, such as, you know, like the simple concept of Twitter. In 140 characters, you, you ain't going to find much about people, right? Yep. If we're just going online and all we're doing is getting hit with these things that last 35 seconds or a minute, um, I'm much more interested in long form, hearing a little bit more about people. So yep. that obviously doesn't interest me. Now, it may make me or some of us outsiders, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't go into the depth about things uh, and try and find real reasons as opposed to looking for a, a simplistic uh, A or B stroke black and white answer. Yeah. And more nuanced. So I thought, no, sod that. I'm going to write <laughs> this, you know, a bit more nuanced, explaining things that you don't think. Currently, classically, there's so many things out there in the world just now where people are, you know, you either like that or hate that. Right. You're for him and against her. Extremes kind of thing. But life isn't like that. We're yeah. not binary. You know, life isn't binary. Um, so I decided, no, I'm just going to write how I felt. And right. uh, so it was great. Um, I, in the end, I, was, I started that annoyed and within two chapters, I was loving it. <laughs> so I got to look back. Amazing. So what, what are kind of key themes? Is it an autobiography or is it... Um, yeah, it's, of... yeah, it's kind of a biography to some degree but it's not normal. <laughs> right, okay. As it wouldn't be. Um, and it's hooked a lot. You, 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 you'll see my career in there. You, you hear about my career in there because people would like to know that. Yeah. So I'm told. Yes. Um, I've never thought they would be interested in knowing it. <laughs> I, I've never wanted to, to do that. And I kind of held off doing it for a long time. Yeah. But then I came up with a concept of hanging the story of, of what had happened to me in my life around something else. And okay. something else is being an utter outsider within the industry that I worked in, stroke right. industry that I worked in. And if there's maybe, you know, there's, there's hopefully a number of messages in there. Certainly one of the messages is, it's okay to be different. It's okay right. to be an outsider. Um, you will find in many areas of life, work, whatever, you can be, if you're not towing the party line and being the norm, normal, you can feel as if you can't succeed. Yeah. And I believe that is massively wrong and a lot of people and it's certainly not me but in many areas of the world that if you do if you have your own thinking that can sometimes think to new thinking yeah things think to breakthroughs so the concept of hey everybody i don't care where you are you're an outsider you can do it life yeah. can actually be quite fun and here's, here's how i managed it kind of thing well i wanted to ask you like that that kind of theme of being an outsider is really interesting you grew up in Easter House, which I gather is quite a, a kind of a rough scheme in Glasgow, in the east, east End of Glasgow. Do you always feel like you kind of broke the mould and you were different to how people thought you should be as a young male at that time? That's a brilliant question. Absolutely great question. Um, yes, to some degree, but it wasn't affected. It was just my family. It's a, it's a purely a family thing. I'm one of six kids. Um, and a mum and dad who brought us up in this 
fairly earnest kind of way, yeah. um, moralistic. Um, we were the family was religious, although you know I, I'm not religious, um, and it's it, it was kind of the morality was more important than the, the religiosity, right? Um, and I think that thing of you try and do your best. It's not acceptable to do anything more than maximize your potential at what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why you do something is to be good at it and also um, to give something back to whatever part of society that is. Yeah. Now that sounds like pretty highfalutin stuff. Um, and that would think almost of me retrofitting my life. It wasn't like that. It, that's exactly what it was like. I didn't right. retrofit. That's what my mum my and my dad were like. Right. And it I mean, my dad particularly, both of them for for a variety of reasons, but my dad, I mean, he'd take me training every single day um, from the age of four or five onwards and would give that to any of the kids that wanted it. Right. If I said no, then fine. But it was always there. And I was the kid that kept on going. I was kept kept training. Now, he'd he'd done coaching courses. He'd been a boxer of his own own side. Okay. The other thing he did was he took the school team he also took the boys club teams in the local area mm-hmm. and he helped build the, what was Easter House League, which was a huge thing, really right, huge. Okay. Under 11s to under 18s, right. something 15 or 20 teams at each level. That's a lot of kids. And it was a major thing when gang warfare was going on. Of course. My dad helped set this up. So why would you do that if you're a working man leaving the house, at, you know, half past five, six in the morning, don't go home until five, Rush down your dinner, train me. If not training me, get out training the kids, taking them to gyms and things like that. Right. School teams, taking the skill teams, taking the boys. Why do you do that? Why does my mum then clean all the strips of all the kids of all yeah. these different teams? She does. They don't take them home. It's all done in a. They're all. We live in the top of the tenement, and you know she's hanging out the washing <laughs> down there, like watching it, make sure it's not getting nicked. Yeah. Why do you do that? You so don't do this. No, you do it because you're altruistically helping society. Yeah. In the midst of there was lots of good people around in, in tough areas. There was nobody else like that doing that. Right. So I come from a family that's got this very different outlook from others around us. So if you're brought up with that, people go, it must have been weird being a footballer, being different. I'm thinking, well, we were different always. You're always <laughs> different. That's interesting. And I'm, I'm the family failure gonna... because I've didn't get a degree. I didn't finish my degree. Everyone else got (laughs) Is that true? Yeah, complete family failure, right? (laughs) And and it's really funny when you, but you put that up, six kids in a tenement in Easter House. Yeah. All six going to higher education or whatever. That's not because we're great. That's the parents. That's the parents gave us every opportunity. We didn't drill into it for pure, yes, the education was important, so was sport, so was health, so was, you know, altruism towards the community and politics with a small p. Right. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, look, the book sounds really, really interesting, Pat. I'm really looking forward to reading that. Um, we're going to kind of come onto your playing career in a moment when we go through your three football shirts you've chosen. But I wanted to ask you as well, kind of when you finished playing, you're involved with Motherwell for a time and then you went into media and you've become very successful in the media industry, a kind of like a like a second wind kind of career kind of thing. Was that always the plan or it just happened by accident? I've never had a plan. I've never had a moment's plan. <laughs> 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 I was to become a teacher. 
I failed. A teacher. <laughs> the classic. The only reason why I failed is because I ended up. I suppose the other line would be, I tried really hard not to be a professional footballer and failed. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is my kind of position on it, and it's it's a much much closer to the truth than you would believe that. So, you know, from then, you know, I ended up getting into football. Um, I've just kind of done what I do. So yeah. oh, you had a football career, 19 years. In the midst of that, I was doing other things where I was doing it. I was chairman of the PFA in England. Um, right. I was already writing. I mean, I started when I was 20, 21. I was writing for NME, art magazines, you know. Then, you know, through my life, I'd, I'd been for various newspapers. I've been fortunate to write from everyone from the Times and the Telegraph to the Mail on Sunday to the Indy to the Guardian. Right, right. I've just, and I've had columns for many uh, newspapers as well. So I kind of, well, I was playing thinking, I kind of like the idea of getting into journalism. Walk out at the end of my career, having done 19 years. And if actually it was 21 when you add the, the extra two years at Motherwell. Yep. Um, and then for the first time ever, I think, I've not got a job. <laughs> but in reality, I'd actually been probably two years already working for Channel 5 TV, right. doing the UEFA, the Europa League, UEFA Cup co coverage. Thursday night, Channel 5. Yeah, exactly. So I'd, I'd kind of started with them and I ended up doing that eight or nine years. Right. And without, I, I never asked them, they asked me. And then in Radio 5 Live, had, I'd started working stuff on and off with them for uh, 96, Euro 96. Right. I never got into what, I was a bit naffed. Um, I was going to ask you about that, yeah. Understandably so. Um, so I'd kind of done that, but had much like my football career, I'd never thought I'm going to go into media. Mm. I kind of liked the idea of writing. Um, but other than that, I, I really didn't know. Um, and then what happened when I left Motherwell, um, I just got a number of offers um, of, and, and never contracted. I don't do contracts. I just, um, if you like working with me, work with me. If you want to tell me to get lost, I'll go. <laughs> I'll get on. Now, I know I'm in a very fortunate <laughs> position where you make a few quid during your professional career. Now, I'm not a multimillionaire. I, I wasn't in football where the big money was. Yeah. But I just wanted to do things I love doing. Yeah. And then if it ever came to the point where I have to really knuckle down and, you know, find a, a real job, I'll do it, you know. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What I ask everybody on the podcast, and it's going to be slightly different for you because you are, you are a footballer of some repute. Um, what do football shirts mean to you? And do they mean anything at the time as a player? It's a weird one because as a kid, they did. Right. They really did as a kid. Um, so, amazingly, my first shirt I ever bought was, uh, now think about it, youngster, seven years of age, Celtic supporter. Yep. In Easter House. First shirt, Chelsea. Oh. That's weird. Because that... it's blue. <laughs> yes. Very strange. Very strange. How did that go down? Um Confused looks. <laughs> <laughs> but I made sure I wore it with the shorts and the socks. Right, okay. Blue and white at my Chelsea. Now I was quite enamoured by them. Um, so I can remember my first football shirt that I bought, and it was that. And I think next one I tried to get a Brazil shirt. And right. then eventually I gave up and went for a, the, the hooped classic. Nice. Celtic had it at a time. Um, um, but it was it's kind of like his football shirts kind of did mean something, you know. You wanted to show off all the time as a kid. Mm. Um, I think the time when it, it, they always meant something to me. But when I went to Celtic Boys Club, um, when I was about uh, 10 or 11, no, I was 12 actually, 12. Right. We wore, and this is this is psychological. Anyone who loves football shirts, almost put your fingers in your ears now because this. <laughs> This is actually going to be physically painful, what we tell you now. So we would play those bits of kids at Barrafield on this red blaze. We would play for Celtic Boys Club with, with the green and white hoops, right? Yep. But these were the hand-me-down first team shirts. Wow. We played with it somewhere in Jinky's shirt. You're kidding. <laughs> That's what they did and the shorts. It wow. Was, I, I told you this would hurt. This is physically painful. Wow. It actually hurts me when I think back about it. It's actually spine tingling. They, they didn't realise there was any value in a lot of these kits. And particularly when we went to the older age groups, because they would fit as better. You get these, and I can remember these beautiful cotton shirts yeah. with the numbers, obviously, on the, the short, shorts. Yeah. The seven or a nine on the short. And you'd think, Kenny was wearing this recently. <laughs> but to save a few quid, they just handed them down to the boys' club. Well, that's very Celtic, isn't it? Unfortunately, it is. yeah, biscuit tin style. But we thought it was not, and in many ways, 
you know, it is actually perfect reasonable at the time because, you know, you, they're yours, move them on. Football strips never became that sort of collectible thing for a long time later. Yeah. So, because people didn't swap shirts, all that sort of stuff in those days. So, and the downside of that is I then didn't really care about any other shirts because I, you know, I had the shirt that I wanted and I was wearing it every week. You know? yeah. So I didn't look for other shirts then. And maybe then there was a big gap between then and a professional career. And then you thought, ah, playing against international teams where you could swap a shirt or the teams you actually played for, those shirts became important as well. Um, yeah. So that, that's when it was. I mean, I could, I mean, I could out hipster most of most of you with some of those shots <laughs> I, could into. But I won't do it. I mean, I, I love certain. If I was into the style ones, I mean, the, the original Diego Maradona Boca one, I mean, oh, really, wow. I mean, seriously, I mean, you, you can hang about in Dalston with that. I mean, I, definitely, <laughs> definitely. So, but it, it was nothing for me. I never played against them, so it couldn't have an effect on me. Right. So, Pat, you just showed me a box that you found. You said you found it six months ago of shirts that you kind of haven't been through in 25 years. It, well, exactly, because I didn't keep memorabilia. I never have. Um, if I got something, I usually gave it away to a charity immediately. Yeah. And it's better than sitting in a back bin liner in my of box. Course. So I gave loads away. A classic one, again. Um, maybe one shirt that I always wanted was the Brazil shirt, you know, because... You know, my age, 1970, I was seven, and you look at Brazil, you go, oh, my God. And yeah. that, that was when football just exploded in my head, you know, the 70 World Cup, watching, you know, Pele and all that. Anyway, scroll forward quite a few years later, maybe five, nearly 20 years later, I'm in the squad for Scotland against Brazil. Wow. Now, annoyingly, I don't get on. Oh. However, I don't care. I'm going to swap a shot. So I swap a shot, right? So I've got finally a real international Brazil shot. And that meant something to me. There was a journalist who's good friends with me who just came up to me and he said, that is all I've ever wanted in my life, one of those shots. Right. These big pleading eyes on. And I went, I know, but I've kind of wanted it too. He goes, no, but please, please. I just, it's all I've ever wanted. I'd put it up and I'd have it in a big, you know, frame right behind my desk. And I went, it's all I've ever wanted in my entire life. And I, I just weakened and went, oh, sod it, and gave him it. So I just wow. gave him it back. Anyway, the killer of that is, I talked to him about five years later, and I said, you still get that shirt up? And he went, no, no, I gave it away. Oh, <laughs> God. Oh, dear. Would you believe, and this will shock quite a lot of people, I'm still very good friends with that. Uh, yes. And uh, that individual's gym trainer. <laughs> Is it really? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Interesting. Trainer, if you're listening, I remember that. <laughs> Not always the most popular guy around the Scotland just now, but I, I got on very well. He's a very interesting character, a huge force in Scottish football. Mm -hmm. So, Pat, let's move on. Let's let's go for your, your first shirt. So you've chosen the Chelsea home shirt, 83-84 by Lecoq Sportif. This was the your first season at Chelsea, right? Yeah, yeah. Um... Surely, for, for, I mean, I was very lucky. I got player of the year. Um, it was you my had a first great season. season. Uh, we won the league to get promotion up to the Premier League, which got, Chelsea had been in a bad place before mm. then. And it was a kind of magical year, a really fantastical year, a fantastic year. Um, I still wasn't convinced I was wanted to be a professional footballer full-time, but it seemed to be going quite well. 
But the shirt itself, weirdly, it's it's blue, it's silky, mm. it's skin tight, even for a skinny wee rake like me. Um, <laughs> Got a little pinstripe red and white through it. So for someone who's in Scotland, people have to understand I'm very green and white. You know, I was a Celtic fan. I'm now a hippie. Yep. Um, so I'm very green and white. Uh, but in England, I'm, I'm absolutely blue and white. You know, right. absolutely right. blue and white. I mean, Everton and Chelsea, you know, very blue and white. Yep. Tranmere as well, blue and white. So, uh, but that strip. And if you go to Chelsea now, you go to your game now. Now that's a long time ago. Or how many strips have they had since then? I would say just about the most common retro strip that's used is that one. Mm, mm. And it's, I find that amazing because I'd worn a retro strip with Chelsea's from the 70s. Yeah. And that, for me, that's the classic. Um, and I suppose it all depends when you grow up. Um, but a lot of Chelsea fans are of certainly a certain age, but I'm noticing it in young, younger Chelsea fans now. That's the one that they go to. Because it's something beautiful, classy, silky, um, with memories of a kind of simpler time as yeah. well. Um, and it's it doesn't actually have a, uh, there's not a golf air or anything emblazoned across the it's front. Monster, yeah. it's, there is no sponsorship at all. And it is, it's a cracker. It's just a cracker. A and I'll be honest with you, it's one of the few strips in my playing career as a player for a team. I stole... I stole the strip at the end of the season. <laughs> they didn't give you it. People don't get this. Players get loads of strips these days. It's not your strip. I might be wearing seven this week and nine next week and ten next week. Oh, and really? Of the week afterwards. It's not my strip. Right. I don't get the right to keep it at the end of the season. By the way, there are only three. There's your home kit, the away kit, and there's um, a short sleeve. Right. So, okay. So if you rip it, somebody will sew it up. You're kidding. Even <laughs> then, in the 80s? Yeah. Early 80s, that's the way it was. That's just before the change. Yeah. yeah. More strips started coming in. So there was no concept that that strip belongs to you. Now, I wore the number seven every week. Yeah. Probably over the 60 games, I wore it for 58 of them. Right? If I had to, if I was pushed and I had a strip left, and there's probably that box, I don't know, 50 in there, that's the one I keep. Desert Island really? strips. That's the one I grab. That's um, your favourite. And it's, I think it's for Chelsea fans. They would, I've shown, I've shown it to call Chelsea fans once or twice. Yeah. Jaw drops. It's the, it's just like Kerry Dixon's nine or my sevens. Kind of, it's a kind of special kind of thing. Apparently. Yeah. I, I love that strip. I just dearly love it, and I kind of still kind of fits me. Which <laughs> is good. So I was going to ask you, Pat, like joining joining Chelsea at the time, I guess like it's a completely different club nowadays to what it was. You joined in the second division and like you said, you had an amazing season. What, what was it like coming from Glasgow to London and playing for a club like Chelsea? That was really quite cool about it. There was no pressure on me, no expectations. Um, I just took a two-year sabbatical for my degree. Um, right. I was going to go and do two years at Chelsea and go back up and finish my degree. Okay. Um, it's 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 it's, it's complicated. And it, it, that's why I wrote a book about it, to explain that. You know, I I didn't want to be a footballer. But it's not because I didn't love football. I absolutely loved playing, probably more than anyone else. You know, I'm the only one that's staying back for training, coming back in the afternoons on my own. Right. So I love the technical stuff. I was fanatical fitness. Was a distance runner as well. Okay. So 
Yeah, it's all those things. It always surprises people because I never told them. Why should I? Because <laughs> that just gives away one of my secrets, which is if, you, if I can't beat you with skill, I'll run my legs off you, mate. <laughs> yeah. People didn't know that. Well, Strachan so, says the same in his book, doesn't he? Strachan's a big believer in long distance running as well when he was a player. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Strachan and I have quite a lot of things in common, uh, right. obviously. Um, but that kind of feeling of, right, okay, love doing this, absolutely fantastic. Cruise along. If you do the best you can possibly do, nice things will happen. If you, you know, if you if you muck about too much, then it probably won't happen for you. But desperation to be famous, to be wealthy, all that stuff. stuff nothing. I had no feeling for that. None at all. Um, but I, I love doing it. So those two years when I went down there, it was just a bit of fun. I'll be honest with you, there was very little expectation for me that I'd get in the first team. Really? I didn't think I would get in the first team. So, you know, I'd, I was 19. And Charlie Nick went down the same week, the same week from Celtic to Arsenal. Yeah. Plays of glory. You know, nobody heard them. Nobody obviously heard of me. I'm going for Clyde, for goodness sake. Yeah. So, uh, so that was good for me. Um, but I, I was, you know, just as training went on for a wee while, I just, I just thought, actually, I don't know if these guys are any better than me. <laughs> right. And that's that's how it kind of kind of dawned on me. I went, actually, this is all right. I can cope with this. Yeah. And, uh, it was only a, a month or two in to going down. I got a chance in the first team and stayed. Wow. Never went out. And that's from someone who didn't expect, and no one really expected to get in the first team much, if at all, for a few years. Because you're only a kid. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was 95 grand across buttons anyway. Right. Um, to at the end of the season getting player of the year was a bit of a shock. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a kind of shock because within a year after that, we were uh, challenging to win the league. Yeah. The top league. You know, and it's that's a massive, massive shift. So we had a good team built very, very quickly. Right. Um, so what was it like going down there? Well, the football was brilliant fun. Uh, I was given complete freedom, uh, which was unusual in the in the 80s game, which was a bit of hit and run a lot of the time with most teams. Um, and we were quite a stylish, skillful side as well. Yeah. Football was great. Um, I'm going to gigs when I can afford it, <laughs> all the time there as well, which was also brilliant fun. And if you're 19, 20, if you brought up in Glasgow, city life is city life. You just yeah, like okay. city. Yeah. And I'm in central London. And the, the biggest thing, the best thing I did was I absolutely made sure I stayed in London. Now, none of the rest of the players stayed in London. <clears throat> they all stayed out by Watford or out in the... The reason why they did that is because a lot of them were married, you know, settled down, or having children or that. So they were having this that type of life. I'm saying, sod that. I'm living in West End, man. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you can only... So I was, I was Ellscourt, then Pimlico, then South Kent. Oh, wow. Okay. For a while. Each of those, one of... I mean, you're talking... That sounds really impressive, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, their DOS house is kind of thing like this. one fleas, right? <laughs> <laughs> So I missed the edit. So there's, I was having, I have to say, a brilliant time. Uh, love the time. I was missing my friends. I'd left the degree course, which I had been loving. And my best friends were, were college mates. But right. good news is, they still are. <laughs> so that never and it worked out. So you had, you had quite a few years at Chelsea, and then you moved to Everton when they got relegated, right? They, I've read that PSG were sniffing around you as well. 
Is that true? Yeah, they agreed. Yeah, they agreed to go to PSG. Wow. It was a great number. So I was, I was all going to happen. Um, and then just Everton came in at last minute and asked me if I wanted to go. And I went, uh, yeah, all right. That was <laughs> it. That was the negotiation. <laughs> Everton were a really good side at the time, weren't they? Yeah, well, they just won the league, but they were aging. Right. And what they needed to do. And it was kind of complicated that because they had to go and basically replace a lot of the people that were there who were getting on a bit. And they brought in people like me and Tony Cotty and Martin Keown and yeah. Jerry McCall. You know, a lot of decent players, Norman Whiteside came out at the time. So the problem is you're upsetting the apple cart with the original guys who weren't hoofed out, you know. Right. There was a schism. And the schism kind of broke the club a little bit. Um, which was a real shame because uh, the quality of players there was absolutely phenomenal, yeah. really phenomenal. But, um, you know, it's, it's not, not that's the quite normal. That happens a lot in football. football. You know, you're going to put 20 odd people together who are all inverted commas winners, who are all people who, you know, expect the best of themselves and want the job and want to, to be the best. And they're not always going to go on. It's yeah. just, Normal. I mean, trying to get from the outside, people talk about team spirit and why can't you just build a team spirit? You have no idea how complicated that is right. with such complex characters that are all expecting to be the number one. Yeah. Or close to the number one. And that was one of the most interesting things I found about um, working within that industry as an outsider watching them voyeuristically. I found that an incredible thing. I mean, I, the first book I wrote uh, about 20 odd years ago was Psychology. It yeah. was most, mostly about that. Uh, this one's much more fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that is a, a, it's a very interesting area. Um, so it was a good time, you know, you know, Everton managed to get a cup finals, got the win on a couple of semis, all that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, but in reality, you know, I've been playing the year tw- twice at Chelsea Ice. My expectations of myself then were to do the same ever. Right. You know, and of course, well, anybody who's of a certain age won't know, a young age won't know, moving from Chelsea to Everton was a massive step up. <laughs> you wouldn't be considered that now. Of course. But then it's a step up. You're going, they're only as, at the time it was either Liverpool, Manchester United, or Everton. Right. I'd, I'd have said they were they were the only step ups that I could have made in, in British football and Scottish team Scottish football obviously with Celtic Rangers has been different. Yeah. But and I already Celtic had tried to buy him twice already. Okay. Um so it really was a kind of no brainer going to Everton. And there was lots of good times there, but there's always a buck with with Everton in the time there because I'd like to have done a lot better. I, mean, I played a lot of games and scored a few goals and yeah, got yeah, yeah. that sort of stuff. But the expectation of myself would have been to get player of the year and win trophies. And we came very close. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, like you say, there's so many factors outside of your control. It's not just how good you can be and dedicated you are. There's so many other things that influence that, I suppose. Yeah, and that, that's an intriguing thing about it. Um, I, was, I was talking to Brian McClell the other day. Right. You, 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 you said, oh, I you heard that I could have been PSG. I'll get this thing I ask, and I please try it with every footballer you, you talk to because they'll all tell you a different story. Um, what's your alternative career? Right. And your alternative career is who you could have signed for. 
when you sign for one club. Because we all think of your career set in stone. It's not. So mines would have been, so Celtic, we left them as an s form. Um, the teams that came into me from a real were, you know, I, did, I stopped playing football for a while, but Airdrie, Partick Thistle, um, Ipswich Town. Okay. All which I kind of turned down because uh, I went, didn't want to play football uh, professionally. But I then went to Clyde. Now, yep. from Clyde, I had a choice between Dundee United and Chelsea. So I chose Chelsea. So, yep. so people wouldn't know that. Chelsea had a company, it was uh, PSG or Everton. So I chose Everton. Um, Inter Milan were sniffing around as well. Wow. Uh, so, but I, Everton was a no-brainer. So after Everton, the choice was <laughs> a number of teams. West Ham had come in, uh, but Everton wouldn't let me go there. It ended up being Galatasaray or Tramway Rovers, which is a weird choice. To make. <laughs> <laughs> and, if, and if you think of your life, there's no reason why your life wouldn't have went that way, because it nearly did. I was yeah. the absolute cusp of signing for Gala. And, you know, and Hakan Suka was sent forward. And they had made me this massive promise to play me in my real position, which I'd rarely played in my entire career. I'd the way that. that is, as a number 10? Yeah, I was always a 10. So right. I'd never played in the wing before I'd, I you know, went down south. So, and I, I didn't really like playing in the wing. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing to have a whole career of it, but um, that's not unusual. That's quite common. In the yeah, game. yeah. Um, or I was then, less so now, if you look at the players, you know, like, you know, for instance, David Silver or that, you know, they fashions change that way, but they can they can move in. So there you have it. Massive thanks to Pat for sharing his football kit memories with me. Don't forget part two where we discuss Scotland and Pat's final football shirt choices is out on Monday. You can follow me, my own collection on Instagram, or get in touch via Twitter or email. Make sure you follow Pat on Twitter and check out The Accidental Footballer, which is available now. The music you heard was produced by Eva Led. Check out his music on Bandcamp. Not quite sure if Pat's a fan. There's links to everything in the notes section. And finally, thanks for listening. If you have enjoyed it, please do spread the word. Give me a follow on social and subscribe to Football Kit Memories on the podcast player of your choice. And other than that, I'll catch you Monday. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.